This is Comic Picks by the Glick. I'm your host, Jason Glick, and we're back! Back after a long hiatus. Yeah. <laughs> but hopefully we'll be, a, be back in a more semi-regular schedule bi-weekly yeah, from here on out. Yeah. But we had to come back, do one, one more before the year ended. Yep. Yeah. And what are we picking before, for, the, for the last one of the year? Well, you'll notice that there's another comic movie that came out on Christmas Day. Spirit. The Spirit. Yeah, as directed by Frank Miller of of Sin City and three three hundred and Batman: The Dark Knight Returns fame. Now I've seen the trailers for the, for the movie and, well, I don't know. Some of they look bad, but I don't know. It's like they look like they look very very deathly serious. Like very much like if what happened, what would happen if the man who did Sin City took on the Spirit? <laughs> yes, but that's exactly what happened. Yes, and. The thing is, though, it's like it's, anyone who's read the spirit can say that, like, that the uh, the Sin City look and feel and feel of it, um, it's probably like, uh, the exact opposite of how the, how the, the the original series is in practice. But we'll be getting that at, at the end of the end of the podcast because mm-hmm. I figure, hey, since Miller is making this big um, solo um, um, movie writing and directing debut, it'd be a good time to look back and, and look at all the stuff he's done in the past. And we're better start starting the past with Miller than with Batman, because well, if anyone just about anyone would say that hey, like Miller, it's like Miller and Batman, it's like it's a, they work great together. Miller's done some of his most legendary works with the character, including right. The Dark Knight Returns. Mm-hmm. Now, we recently didn't talk about this in the uh, Batman podcast a while back because well, I really can't really add anything to to say about what's been said about this. I mean, it's. It's a story of Batman who's been retired for some years, and then get, then after I got... I got a question yes. for you. Yes. My question. The Dark Knight Returns sounds like a sequel to the movie we just saw. No. Oh, no. okay. No. All right. I know. No, I know. The, I know. The Miller, Miller commented that, hey, you know what? After all these years of making Batman movies, it's not that they finally got the title right. <laughs> because so. it was The Dark Knight, but then yeah. this was called The Dark Knight Returns. Yeah. No relation to the movie. That's actually what I wanted to point out. Yeah, no relation, no relation to the movie Outside of the fact that it's Batman. No, it's like if, you, no, if you're looking for a, for a pseudo-sequel to the, to the Dark Knight... Go pick up Joker by Brian Azzarello and Lee Bermejo, mm-hmm. which hopefully at some point we'll be talking about with the uh, no podcast role men guys. Yep. Yeah, but the Dark Knight Returns story of an, an old aging Batman who retired from the crime fighting scene years ago, only to be drawn back in after Gotham City has gone straight to hell, like like in terms of in terms of corrupt corruption and this new rise of this new mutant new gang called the Mutants. Now, as Batman comes back, you fear like. Like Don City's um, legendary crime fighter, having him come back to save everyone from all this stuff—that's gonna be the good thing, right? Well, the best part about the Dark Knight Returns is that it also suggests that Batman's just as responsible for all the for all the chaos and corrupt, chaos and destruction that's wrought in Gotham City as criminals are themselves. Because mm. as he comes back, you're also faced faced with the um, with the Joker. Because like the Joker has been a catatonic all these years, but as soon as Batman comes on, figures, hey, I gotta go and do my thing again. So it's a good look at like how about the destructive nature of Batman. It's like and just how and also how badass he is because you can look because like it's it's got depth and it's also got like great amount of surface style as well, which is what everyone imitated after it came out. Right. Yeah. Now, for years though, like this is this is all that this is all Miller did with it. I mean, like then years later, back in back in the early two thousands, he went and did um, the Dark Knight Strikes Again. Now you hear Frank Miller doing a sequel to the Dark Dark Knight. Dark Knight Returns. Fear that's gonna be awesome, isn't it? Well, 
let's just say that people were, to put it mildly, people were very, very disappointed with this. For me, though, it's like, I look at this, and I think with the Dark Knight's traits again, it's got the mad joy of someone who's built up this huge sandcastle, like this awesome, awe-inspiring spectacle that is, say, the Dark Knight Returns. The Dark Knight's traits again has the joy of someone just destroying that sandcastle that he built up. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's it, it, I don't know, it's like, to say that it has a plot might actually be stretching it. I mean, it's, where The Dark Knight Returns, like, really didn't involve a lot of the, the DC Universe proper, this one begins with it un, with the whole, with all the superheroes in various forms of imprisonment or exile or um, working under the government, as, as Superman is, and the government being controlled by, of all people, Lex Luthor, because, you know, he's, he'd be the guy to do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it's, and you got Batman and um, Carrie Kelly, the Robin from Dark Returns, now take assume the mantle of Catgirl, um, just going around, going around and like fighting the totalitarianism state, um, just by just being being the badasses they are. Now I read reread this again recently, and I'm just wondering, I'm just trying to figure out exactly why I didn't like this so much, because. Really, it's like it's not. It doesn't feel like a sequel to The Dark Knight Returns at all. I mean, it's in terms of art, artistic style, it borrows a lot from Frank Miller's Sin City works. That it's very, it's very loose, very impressionistic, mm. and like it's just all all over the place. I mean, like it's it works. It's you're able. It's you're able to follow all the style. But then, like all the talking, all the talking heads offering their their commentary on the situation at hand just gets to be ridiculous. And just like all the. Uh, I don't know, all the superheroes like tend to like um I don't know, corrupt the pot a little. I mean, it's like they just seen all these all these characters. I mean, like I can't say that there's really like a very like really had like a very strong idea of what he wanted to do with these characters. I mean, they're just kind of like there, they're just there shouting. I'm trying. He says he's trying to cut, cut to their core essence, but like it's just so much. It just tends to be so much noise at the end. I mean, to be honest, Batman Sp- Batman and Robin Spandex Orgy might have been a better title for the sequel. Because it just gets to be so completely over the top, but really doesn't give the reader any reason to care. Hmm. But I will admit that um, how how um, Batman figured out that um, that um, Dick Grayson was the new Joker that was pretty clever. Yeah, that's about it. Um, yeah. Now, one thing I just wanted to point out about this is like yeah, it, that the first uh, uh, the Dark Knight Returns yeah. uh, is really. If I'm not mistaken, probably the catalyst for rebooting the entire Batman franchise. We probably wouldn't have a lot of the stuff that, like, you wouldn't have the Warner Brothers animated series, not less the uh, the fir- at least the Tim Burton version of uh, Batman that was released in '89, because it was released just before it was released before that. That's true. Like, it was very influential, correct? Yeah, it's like this is yeah, the Dark Returns. I'm back. Yeah, it's really it's hard to overstate the impact it's had on Batman over the years. In a sense, it's just getting this, getting Batman back back to his serious roots after years and years of comedy like that. After year for years, like everyone knew Batman from the TV series. Yeah. Then this comes out and shows you how badass Batman can be. I mean, it's exactly. It's just influenced everything from the Burton movies, more specifically, like the um, later Christopher Nolan works. Exactly. Though really, um, Batman Begins actually borrows more from from Mil- Frank Miller and. Artist David Mazzuccelli's Batman Year One, okay. which basically shows you like Batman just as he is starting out as a, as a crime fighter, mm-hmm. and also paralleling his story, Commissioner Gordon just as he's arrived in Gotham and is just a, lo- a lowly lieutenant. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting because because like, Gordon is is he's got a bigger part of the story here as Batman because he's cause he's actually got probably got the more interesting role because like while everyone 
well, looking at Batman, seeing him as a as a rookie, like getting a feel for how how to do thi- how to do things right, how to um, properly infiltrate the criminal element and and take them on. Gordon is the only the sole the only cop, good cop in a sea of corrupt of, of corrupt corrupt cops in the, in the entire precinct. And just mm-hmm. the fact that he's actually able to um that he has survives his first year here is an achievement of itself. Right. Hence that you're saying the influence on the uh, the uh, yeah. what was it called uh, the first Nolan movie uh, Batman uh, yeah and uh, this also also a lot of the um, what's also notable is that this the year one basically focuses on gangsters and speci- specifically mm-hmm. like it's not Batman fight you're not going to learn about Batman's first encounters with the Joker the Two Face the Scarecrow all those other all the other famous movie villains it's just Batman fighting a bunch of bunch of a bunch of thugs and gangsters like the, like the Roman the um, Falcon. Falcone, who's also got a oh, yeah. brief role in the in the first one. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, the um, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale's um, Batman, um, two major Batman works, um, The Long Halloween and Dark Victory, right. also show do um, pick up what happens to these gangsters and shows you the transition from from Batman finding a bunch of gangsters to um, really careful um, criminals like the Joker and all. Right. Yeah. But. So aside from Batman, Miller um, actually prior to Batman, Miller made his mark working with um, a quote unquote Batman esque superhero that'd be um, Daredevil from from Marvel Comics. Okay. Now he's he, he did for, worked for years on Daredevil and then went over to DC to do some Batman to do some Batman stuff, and then and he's been back he's been back to Marvel to to uh, he's been back to Daredevil a couple times over the in re, in later years. I mean he hasn't worked with Marvel I think since. Uh, the early '90s, but well, I haven't read um, a lot of his loves Daredevil stuff. It's it's available in three um, trade paperbacks: Daredevil, Visionaries one, two, and three. I have, what I had read is actually pretty good. One of his stories called "Born Again" is basically the story of what happens when what happens when a superhero's identity is made is made known to his worst enemy. Like in this story, um, Matt Murdock's ex girlfriend Karen Page sell, sells out her sells out his identity to the kingpin. For a hit, and like as soon as as soon as um, Wilson Fisk, the kingpin, make, knows about this, he goes about trying um, just putting the screws to Murdoch's life in the worst way possible. Like he ha- he has his assets frozen, he has he has his um, his law license revoked, he has his apartment blown up, everything. It's it, it's horrible. And then, but even then, like even as he as he drives Matt Murdock to the very edge. Edge, driving to like confront him one on one, and after the kingpin beats him down, and then tosses him in a tosses him in a car to um, be dumped into the bay. He uh, as soon as he finds out what happened to the car, there was no corpse. So, he, as he says, he's he, he's talking that a man that man without nothing is a man without fear. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and the rest of the story is basically, and while I like I like the uh, the idea of what he's doing here, like the uh, like what happens when the superhero's identity is exposed. The fact that like, the seven-issue trade paperback basically ends with the status quo restored kind of lessens the whole the whole impact. I mean, it's it's a very well done well done series. I mean, like it's also also some strong art by his year one collaborator David Mazzuchelli. It it doesn't read like a, like a your standard eighties Marvel comic at all. I mean, it, it does it doesn't have like all the standard Marvel Marvel histrionics and all. I mean, even the superhero presence. Is kept at, at a minimum until the very end when they have to bring in the Avengers to take out this um the super powered hitman named Nuke who mm. um the hit, who the Kingpin has called up from South America mm. to um take out Daredevil. Mm. I mean it's like it's 
like I said, the feel like it's got a very um very crime fictiony feel. In fact, doesn't feel like a like a real straightforward superhero book at all. And that that's what I liked about it. Like I said, it would have been nice if he hadn't like you know completely reset the status quo at the end. But well, I mean that's that's kind of the, that's the way the superhero books. So yeah, also worth mentioning is his take on the origin story of Daredevil, um, called The Man Without Fear, which he did with um j- artist John Romita Jr. Hmm. Yeah, if you're looking for the definitive Daredevil origin. This comes highly recommended as well. Okay. Yeah, but oh, but in recent years, a lot of a lot, um, Miller's only work, in, and so to speak, his best work is done through Dark Horse Comics. Okay. I, and his his major series through Dark Horse is, of course, Sin City. Now, I I recommend just about all the uh, Sin City volumes. They're all great stuff. And well, people get a lot of flack for like. Uh, no, while Miller gets a lot of flack for his, you know, talking about whore, having, like, terminated characters being whores and scumbags and just, like, lowlifes. Low I mean, this is kind of the series that really um, made, like, fosters that stereotype on him. And if I was going to recommend any Sin, um, Sin City story, it'd have to be a dame to kill for. Okay. So good, in fact, that Robert Rodriguez says that once he gets around to making the second Sin City movie, this is what they're going to take, they're going to um, base it off of. So there's a hint anyone that wants one on one up on that story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's the Dame to Kill for basically is a story of Dwight, like a former, like a former, like a um, world class photographer who's now makes his living through, through um, phot- pho- photographing um, people, um, like a uh, doing privacy pre- type of like photographing people in affairs, like for their for their significant others. Now he once that meets up with his girlfriend, his an old flame, like this one, the true one love of his life. Basically tells her that she's that the guy she's in with now is, is slowly killing her, and so like, she needs Dwight's help to like to s- save herself and extricate herself from this horrible relationship. Now Dwight, being the guy that he is, um, agrees to do to help her out, but then he finds out that oh wait, the situation is a little more complex than that. Now, this, now the story is is great in the sense that it takes so many twists and turns that you're never quite sure exactly like where where's going to go next. I mean, what's going to it's always unpredictable, and it's like just like the whole, the whole hard, hard boil, hard boiled, um, privatized stylings of it. Just make make it a really intense read. Mm. It's like, and it's some of the parts in it are just scare, just scary. Like what happens to the um, cop who gets involved, involved with Dwight's ex? Mm. Yeah, it's like this is really high class stuff. Now Miller's other major work for Dark Horse, I'm sure you've all heard of. That'd be Three Hundred. Mm-hmm. Now, since Miller's all, a lot of Miller's stuff in the past has been pretty much set in the present day, like with, like with you know with regular people and like in the low, like in the um, in the low end of life. Yeah. This one, as you know, takes place back in the, back in like what, back in what the early early um, early AD or back in no, the no, BC. not BC. BC. It would even be BC. Um, yeah. Or or um, what is that? BCE before the common. Yeah. Anyone to keep track that way? Yeah, um, I believe it was. Uh, let's see here. Um, oh, I want to say it's like the Hellenistic era. Uh, that'd be totally wrong. But anyway, go on. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, as you, as anyone see the movies know, again, it's the story of the story of the story of the Greeks who of the Greek of the three hundred Greeks who took a stand against the armies of Persia in order to, to stave stave off their advance before they came came and crushed. Crushed the bastion of bastion of early civilization, mm-hmm. and even though it's like it's, it's like even though it's all it's like I said it's back in the pre, back in such in the past it's 
Miller does a great job of, um, of myth making with the story. Right. If, if you will, it's based on a true story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's based, based on based on a true legend, I guess. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's and he just and he does a good job, like um, like setting up all the setting up all the stories, all the characters with it. I mean, just giving them a very legend, very legendary, very legendary epic feel about all of them. Though anyone who's had a like like who's very um who's had a fear of seeing penises in comic book works, stay the hell away from this because I've this is probably got the most amount most amount of man crotch I've ever seen <laughs> like in a comic book like to date. So yeah, but and it's it's also got an interesting um set um print style because uh, Miller did the entire story in big two page spreads, mm-hmm. so the series is twice as long. Um, Physically speaking, it's only about five issues, but like the series is only is, today is only available in a nice thirty dollar hardcover. Which, like I said, I got mine through Amazon. But like I said, if if you see this, it's it's well worth picking up. Yeah. Now, I've been talking about Miller for a little while now, and you wonder like, well, what's this guy with these hard hard boiled, hard boiled really mean sensibilities? How does this guy get to do the spirit? Well. I'm guessing he, one reason he wanted to do it is because he wanted to pay tribute to um, Will Eisner, one of the early masters of the comic book form. Right. Now, he didn't author this. No. Um, to date, um, Miller has... I don't believe Miller has done any actual spirit comics. Right. Only thing he's done is, is, is the spirit movie, which has just come out. Right, right. Yeah. And, like I said, I haven't seen the movie yet. I can't say I really plan to due to the fact that I... The trailers were okay. The uh, And the reviews have been... Well, awful from what I hear. Mm-hmm. So I'm really not going to bother unless I get some friends telling me how good it looks. <laughs> but the uh, the spirit comic books done by uh, Will Eisner look to be like the uh, the complete opposite of the style of the movie because it's well this one looks like the movie itself looks ripped from the pe- ripped from the style of Sin City. Right. The um, like the actual uh, comics like I've I picked up a copy of the Best of the Spirit mm-hmm. and it's very very colorful very. Like very very lighthearted in 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 places actually. I mean, like, the fact these the stories collected here came out in the forties and fifties, and the fact that they're still readable at all is an achievement of them in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. But then you also get like like aside from like Spirit, who is Denny Colt, he's just he's not really like a superhero at all. He's just like a private eye, freelance private eye work who works for the police occasionally, who gets hit with this chemical that basically um causes him causes him to put his status suspended animation. And then um, after he then he wakes then he wakes up busts out of his grave and like now that he's dead he figures well you know a guy without any like you no know, ties to the to modern world he just set himself set myself up, up as a as a freelance crime fighter you know like just help people help people out that way real simple premise yeah and to be honest like the uh, a lot of stuff that Eisner did in the spirit like has like it's been done done to death you know like the the, the, the vigilante the simple vigilante premise it, it, I mean like it's not going to come off it can't help it can't help come off as a little, little dated like in, the, in these days when everyone's trying to reinvent the pre- superhero premise like after 30 years and all right yeah but then you get some a lot of these things are like some nice straightforward crime stories with, with Denny getting mixed up with some girl over over like um, corp, over like um, international espionage or some or some or some crime stuff I think it's some odd, some not, some nice interesting ones where he where he encounters this one where he encounters this one guy who can fly or this um or like these um this toy machine gun who wants to be a real machine gun. Hmm. It's it's odd, but it's odd, but it's got some sense of the whimsy that doesn't look to be present in the film. 
and I'd say it's just like, I think the like, like the tagline was action mis- action mystery and adventure and that's that's all the series promises and like that's pretty much what you get I mean it's sure it's good stuff I mean it's, I say the best of the spirit is worth is worth buying mainly because it's a look back into the olden days of comic and, comics. and you're saying that for 1940s uh, uh, comic it, it holds up reasonably well yeah as well as you can yeah as well as you can as well as you can expect mm-hmm. and um, Eisner's art even like it's it's definitely old it's like it's it's very it's very expressive it's like and and also very well detailed in parts so like it, that that holds up probably his art probably holds up his art and layouts he does um um, hold up much better than the actual stories themselves, so to speak. Mm. Yeah, so like I guess mild recommendation. However, as the as far as like dusting dusting off an old concept and adding a new sheen to it, um, the new spirit stories by Darwin Cook um, actually do a good job of updating on um, the style of Will Eisner. Mm. I mean, Darwin Cook he's done some good stuff with um, his, the reboot he did of of Catwoman with Ed. Br- Ed Brubaker, mm-hmm. and also, and also, I believe he's also got he's also got some past history with the uh, the Batman, the animated series as well. Gotcha. Like his, he's never been a Cook has never been about I'm trying to reinvent the wheel. All all his aim has been like stuff I've read. He's just made been about making the uh, um just making sure the wheel looks good and it gets you where you want to go in style. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what the uh, what these new stories of the Spirit do. I mean, it's very very efficient, very stylized. Like well, not very stylized, just very, very efficient stories, just done with a max maximum efficiency, minimum stupidity. I mean, these stories you get, um, yet Denny Cole trying to save, trying to save a newscaster who can't stop narrating, um, their their escapades even as they're being chased. You get him um, going out to Mexico with his with his old with one of his um old old crime fighting buddies to, I don't know, take take on. Track down an associate of the um, crime boss, the octopus, mm-hmm. and like a nice, nice interesting, revision, slightly revisionist take on his origin, which basically sets up the um, one thread that that print's going to carry through the uh, like his twelve twelve issues of the series that he did about the um, the other guy who was hit with the um, chemical that sent him into suspended animation mm-hmm. as well. I mean, it's, it looks it all looks very it looks very good thanks thanks to Cook some slightly retro cartoonish art. And it's it's all like it's all done, like all done in a professional manner. And it's like I'd recommend this to anyone who like if you like like I said if you like this if you like the old spirit stories I'd recommend giving this a shot because like Cook's sensibilities work well with with Eisner's. He does a good job of honoring Eisner's style, and not and while not 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 duplicating it, does it does it well in his own. Gotcha. The, the only knock against the series I have to give is the um, spirit Batman crossover, which. Which comes at the end of the volume, uh-huh. which well, I mean, it's basically you get the, the Spirits Rogues Gallery meets the um, Batman's Rogues Gallery as they're trying to take out this um, de- detective convention in Hawaii, and it's well, it's not bad, but uh, as written by written by Jeff Loeb, um, let me just say that all the spirit all the regular issues of the Spirit in this collection were written by Darwin Cook. The Batman Batman Spirit was co- was written with Jeff Loeb. Okay, Loeb. Makes the era of trying to um, throw in every every villain for every for both Bat- Batman and the Spirit, and it just comes off really overstuffed and dealing with all the villains in print like their dead simplest way possible. Gotcha. Which, to be honest, like it would have been best to just you know just dial it back a little, you know. Yeah. But 
anyway, like I said, if you're not going to... To be honest, right now, I'd recommend you go and spend your, your 20, 20 or so bucks on either The Best of the Spirit or Darwin Cook's the first volume of his the Spirit collection. Mm-hmm. Like, rather than just like you know spend the 10 bucks on going to see the Spirit themselves. Yes, it's twice as much, but I guarantee, I'm, I'm fairly certain it'll be twice as entertaining. Though, like I said, I hate, I hate to judge a movie before I've seen it, but... The trailers, John. Don't yeah, what do you think about the movie? The trailers. Well, I haven't seen it. Um, I probably will go and see it, but the trailers do not look promising to me at all. They they look very um, highly stylized, kind of uh, in the in the um, yeah. same vein as uh, you know. Yeah, it's it's Sin it's, it's, it's City all over again. Yeah, uh, you know. However, it just didn't seem. I'm like, oh, this seems a little. I don't know. Maybe can't be, but that'd be like, uh, you know, the trailers don't impress. They don't impress yeah. at all. Uh, if anything, we're, prob- we're probably like waiting, waiting years until we hear that the um, this movie has gained itself a cult reputation, and then we'll have, wind up having to recant ourselves Possibly. on a later podcast. But right now, I'm, I'm having a hard time parting with $10 to go and see it. So just yeah. based on the... Th- and, and I've seen all three of the trailers, so, I mean, yeah. none of them have struck, struck me, so... Yeah. And that's my opinion on that. <laughs> okay. And on that note, it's time to wrap, wrap up this year. All and right. And we'll see you next time. See you next time.